Quitting smoking requires willpower, but we could all use a little help sometimes. Nicorette's Stop Smoking products increase your chances of quitting smoking by up to 60% versus unaided. Clinically proven to help you quit for good. Nicorette contains nicotine. Stop smoking aid. Requires willpower. Always read the label. Welcome to I'll Start Monday, the practical self-help podcast that asks, what can I do starting Monday that will have a positive impact on my life? I'm your host, Keith Walsh, and today we're talking about mindfulness, which is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but which you might have trouble trying to define. To help us out is Neil O'Muraku, a wellness expert with over 20 years of experience across numerous different techniques and practices, including Reiki, herbalism and shamanic healing. Lately, his focus has been on the power of breathing and how we can use it to improve all aspects of our well-being. In 2022, he published his first book, The Blissful Breath, which focuses on simple breathing techniques that take just 10 minutes a day, which makes him an ideal guest for I'll Start Monday. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Are you, how's your breathing? Are you, are you, well, are you well today? Uh, my breathing is good. Um, we breathe about 20,000 times a day without thinking about it mostly. But when we do focus on our breath, it helps us dramatically improve our health and helps us feel calm and peaceful. So um, just focusing on the breath for a little bit has a big effect. So I'm focusing on my breath just a little bit. Can we just take a moment for everybody, for me, for you, before we get into a conversation for the listener, just to maybe take a breath or a couple of breaths that will just get us in the mood yeah, to, yeah, to relax yeah. and listen to the conversation. So while we're preparing for that, if you want to close your eyes and just allow your eyes to soften a little bit, Allow your jaw to soften. Allow your shoulders to soften. We're going to take three breaths. So breathing in and slowly breathing all the way out. And when you reach the bottom, again, breathing in and slowly breathing all the way out. Beautiful. Last one. Breathing in and breathing all the way out. Now, in, the, in those three short breaths there, you're beginning to activate the vagus nerve in the back of the brain. And one of its most important jobs is to get us from a state of agitation or stress or anxiety and bring us down into the opposite part of the nervous system where we feel safe and peaceful again. So that very simple exercise of focusing on our exhale can dramatically change how we're feeling in a moment or two. I feel wonderful. Yeah, see? And, you know, when we think about breathing, people often think about taking a deep breath in. The body will always take a breath in. It's actually the long exhale that we want to focus on. That, is that, very, that changes everything. That is very good. What would you say to people who panic when they start thinking about breathing? So our breath is a reflection of how we feel. So if you're feeling panicked, your, your breathing will be shallow and caught up in your chest. The converse is true. If we're feeling calm, our breathing will be soft and it'll be deep. The good news is that we have total control over our breath whenever we need to. So when a person is feeling panicked, the breath is just reflecting where their mind is, but they can choose in that moment to decide, okay, I'm going to focus on my breath for a little bit and to just slow it down a tiny bit. And in that movement of taking their attention out of the external environment and putting on their breath, the breath starts to slow down. And the brain, even though it's listening to trillions of signals every moment from the body, the brain prioritizes messages from the lungs over nearly everything else. 
So if the lungs start moving slowly and calmly, even in a moment of sheer panic, the brain starts to listen and starts to make these adjustments all through the body, dropping the heart rate, softening the body. And we start to feel like the breath then. If the breath is calm, we feel calm. If the breath is panicked, we feel panic. So the breath is, in essence, the breath is like a remote control for how we feel. So we can switch it. We can put the volume up or down. We can pause it. We can fast forward. All those things. The breath is how we feel. So one of the greatest things that people can realize is that at any moment in all situations that we can take control of our breath simply by paying attention to it. And by paying attention to it, it changes. Wow. I think we, we can just end it there. <laughs> Let's go home. We're done. <laughs> um, Neil, uh, that was a great start to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And I know you're a um, serious athlete. Uh, um, I don't want to say former because you're, you're still an athlete. You're still an athletic looking man. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what was it you, you, uh, you specialised in and how did that get you then into wh- where you work now? Yeah, um, it, it seems like a lifetime ago. It definitely seems like another world ago. Um, my first obsession in life was basketball and my desire and ambition was to be a professional basketball player. And so I played for Ireland. I was the captain for Ireland. Um, first Irish person ever to be the high scorer at European championships, all those types of things. But somewhere in me was were these big questions uh, about who I am and who you are and what this experience is. And, and as I kind of progressed up through the ranks as a basketball player, these questions got louder and louder and louder. And eventually, when I was about 19 or 20, um, you know, I was, I, at that stage, I was on the Irish senior team, the youngest person ever to be on the Irish senior team. And I just stopped playing. I, I just couldn't continue anymore. I, I had to go and find answers to these questions. And I felt that basketball didn't have the answers to these questions. Now, 25 years later, I realized that anything, if you study it enough, has the answers to the questions. But at that time, I didn't understand that. So I went from basketball then in search of these, you know, answers to these big questions of who we are and what is this experience about? What's the meaning of all of this? And that led me into martial arts, that led me into yoga, that led me in, then into meditation and other things like that. But uh, the physical body and, and the movement of the body, I think, is so important for all of us. So. I still train a little bit. My children play basketball now a little bit, but uh, it was it was that it was what I learned on the court, at the highest level under extreme pressure, that opened my mind up to the importance of, of of how we can use our breath, for example, to deal with extreme pressure. When we're standing there and we have a free throw and it can win the game or lose the game, at in the national stadium and there's hundreds of people there and you're playing for your country, in that moment, how do we control how we feel? So I always had that part of me was always thinking about those things at that stage. Now, I instinctively maybe had a little bit of uh, talent for being able to deal with pressure, but I didn't know how to do it. So then when I found breathing much later on in life, it was it was like the last piece of a little bit of a puzzle that I've been trying to figure out all my life. And really, the answer is, as we did at the beginning, the answer is the breath. Whatever question we're faced with, whatever struggle we're faced with, Breathing is part of the answer. So if, we, if we're under pressure at home or in work or wherever it is, just bringing our mind back to our breath, even for a moment or two, it changes how our nervous system is working and all our behavior stems from the nervous system. But most importantly, 
it actually changes how our mind is working at the time. So let's say in, in that extreme pressure on the free throw line in this huge match or at home, you know, feeling pressure, financial pressure or home pressure, whatever it is, or in work. In those moments, as the body tenses up, the mind also starts to prepare for the worst case scenario. That's what anxiety is. And in that moment, we start to prepare for the worst case scenario. But by focusing on our breath, it starts to change how the nervous system is working, but it also starts to change our mind from thinking about that worst case scenario and it opens it right back up again. So we can see the possibilities. We can see the answer to the question. We can see that all we have to do is take the shot like we've been practicing it a million times to score it. You know, so the breath has always been a part of, of my life, even from back in the old days. But now I just know how it works. Fascinating. Can you take me back then to uh, a young Neil uh, playing basketball in your teens? And obviously people could see you were a talent. Um, what were you like then? Um, interesting, the breath was always a struggle for me back then. I was born... Um, kind of had a, a rough d delivery and was born with, with struggles with breathing. Um, that developed into asthma, quite severe asthma as, a, as an athlete. And um, so the teenage Neil on, on the Irish basketball team, I would be always running back and forth to the bench to get my inhaler, to take, the, to take a, a shot of, of Ventolin or whatever it was at the time. And ironically, it was the cold that triggered this, you know, this, this problem with the constriction of the, of the breath. And that, in a way, forced me to breathe a lot through my mouth. So anybody listening to this at the moment, just for a second, check how you're breathing. And, it, and we're built to breathe through our nose. Every time we breathe through our nose, it, it cleans the air, humidifies the air, actually improves our immune system by breathing through our nose. But if we're breathing through our mouth all the time, which a lot of people do in, 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 without even noticing it, nearly every way we measure health gets worse. So for, for me... I was breathing through my mouth a lot back then. You know, I didn't realize the importance of breathing through my nose because I was just desperate to get a breath in by any means necessary. But what kind of changed in that kind of period, this kind of struggle for breath, what changed my thinking around it was um, I went to the pharmacy one day and the pharmacist knew I had a prescription for this inhaler that I brought with me everywhere to all the matches, to, to everything. And they said to me, the company that makes them are doing like a, uh, a workshop you know, not close, you know, close by in swords. Why don't you go and you might learn something about it. So being an athlete, I wanted anything that could give me an advantage. So I want to, to improve my performance. So I went to this workshop and they were saying that this inhaler that, that I was using is the most effective inhaler on the market. It works within 15 minutes of you taking it. And this set off a huge question in my mind because for me, I would take the inhaler and feel better immediately. So that started me thinking about the influence of my own thinking on the whole situation. They were saying it didn't work for 15 minutes. In my mind, it worked instantly. So that again, it started to open these questions in me about the, the influence the mind has on outcomes. I had convinced myself that this inhaler worked properly. And because of that, it worked immediately. So again, it, these were just more questions, opening more kind of doors in my mind to... to uh, things that I wanted to understand a bit more. But the teenage Neil had to struggle with breath and that was for sure. What's your understanding now of what was going on then with your, with your breathing? I have a 14-year-old boy who 
loves football and is quite good at it, but he is very in tune with his breath, so he yeah. feels like he never can get enough air and he has an inhaler. Um, you know, we, we were taking him for a, a chest x-ray. I'm going to make this podcast about myself here and get some, yeah, get, yeah. Get some advice. <laughs> no, there's a people listening that could probably help it as um, well. So he is an inhaler and he is convinced that he's he just can't, sometimes can't get enough air in. What did you, what would you say to yourself, to young Neil or yeah. did young Neil figure figure all that out? And and, and bear in mind, um, are you are you a medical doctor or absolutely? Yeah, not. so we're just this is just you I talking can talk about, about your my own, own experience. Your own experience, yeah. So I don't have asthma anymore. My asthma disappeared over the last few years. Um, the reason it disappeared was because I had learned to breathe properly. I don't mean properly as in this is right, this is wrong, but I mean in a way that is most effective for the body. So, for example, my breathing had been stuck up in my chest a lot. My breathing had been with my mouth a lot. And those two factors alone are enough to make a person feel like they can't get enough breath in. Now you pile on the pressure of performance in any sport on that. And you pile on then not just the physical pressure, but the mental pressure that goes along with trying to be at the top and trying to perform at the top. And you have a little recipe there for quite constricted breathing. So the opposite's also true. By learning how to breathe in my belly, you now expanding the belly, feeling the belly expanding, that draws down the diaphragm and allows the lungs to open properly. By practicing that uh, very simply, even lying down for a couple of minutes every day and practicing that, it reprograms the body and how to breathe. So all of a sudden, lying down and breathing like that for a few minutes, then when we're walking around, we're breathing more effectively all of a sudden without thinking about it too much. And that then starts to change everything. All of a sudden, each cell in the body that needs oxygen is getting the oxygen it needs because it may not have been getting that beforehand. Circulation starts to improve. All these things start to improve just by learning how to breathe into the belly, feeling it expanding. That then opens up the lungs more. The more we practice to breathe in ways like that, the lungs are like elastic and they're like a muscle, the, the better at breathing they become. They become more flexible. They become more powerful. And that by itself starts to change that feeling from being constricted. And there's nothing worse from anybody listening that's had the experience of maybe nearly drowning or suffocation of some sort. There's nothing worse than that fear of not being able to get the breath in. There's, you know, there's a primal fear that, that jumps up in the body when you, when you have that situation. So by learning how to just breathe a little calmly in the belly, that then starts to change the program. That then, say for your son then, so when, the, when he's training, his breathing will be slowly starting to readjust itself to this new way of breathing. He'll be getting more oxygen in, his body will be more relaxed. All these things have a factor on that constriction. And so just a, some simple breathing exercises, as outlined in the best-selling book, The Blissful Breath, um, are a great way to start. Excellent. Um, I will, I'll, I'll get on to him straight away. Yeah. Do you mind if I go ring him now? You ring him now, yeah. Put him on the phone, we'll do a bit of breathing <laughs> yeah. together. I will. I'll get you down. I'll get you down in person. But just uh, one thing on, on, say, your son being 14 and the younger generation of people. When I was an athlete, there was, a, there was quite a closed mindset in, in the world of elite sports of, around performance. Now there's much more of an openness to it. So your son's generation, because of the access to information we all have now, 
they'll be open to that. Mm. You know, if you had said to me when I was 15 or 16, I might not have been as open because things were quite closed then. But now there's such access to information that people want anything that'll give them that little bit of advantage. I help out with the coaching and we, we have two excellent coaches on the team who are brilliant with the footballing side of things, the drills, the yeah. rondos, the skills, all that kind of stuff, the formations and all that kind of stuff. And I generally talk to the guys about their well-being and I talk to them about meditation and, you know, taking, yeah. um, you know, breathe, you know, thinking about their breath at least, you know, once every day and, yeah. and, and are trying to sit quietly for five minutes every day and all that kind of stuff and how that can help them find wow. space on the pitch in, in a moment of uh, stress. So they're definitely open to it. That's amazing that that's just part of their normal team. Mm. Um, I had, for all the way up through Irish basketball, I had an amazing coach from uh, Kerry, John O'Connor, and he was a visionary, really. He was kind of trying to bring those things in back then, early 90s. He had us visualizing before matches and doing all these amazing... Now, people were quite close to it. I was like this um, kind of zombie robot that he said, if he said do it, I would just do it. So I used to do it all. And it had a huge impact on my performance. But that's just normal now. That wasn't normal in the early 90s, for mm. sure. So it's great to hear that under 14s are, you know, their minds are open to that. Yeah, it's a huge part of it because obviously, as you would know, like, you know, recovery is a big part of it, looking after yourself, Absolutely. how you feel about yourself, yeah. confidence, yeah. self-belief, and it's all tied up in, you know, your wellness. And, yeah. and and as you said, ultimately, it's all coming from the lungs telling you everything's yeah. okay. Yeah, and, and I would strongly argue that all of that's tied together by the breath. Mm. It's fascinating, really. Um, so... We can get on to more things about the disciplines and Wim Hof and all that, but I would like to ask you about being 19 and giving up basketball oh, yeah. and the people around you and how life was at that point, because I think we can learn a lot from that as well. Yeah, I suppose f from my perspective, the changes, the internal changes had been coming for a long time. So since I was an early teen, I had been, if there was a book on ancient Egypt or meditation or yoga in the library or wherever it was, I was just consuming them. You know, I was just looking for, looking for answers. So this had been building in me. So by the time I got to 19 or 20 and made a decision to stop, it was probably a surprise to everyone around me, but not to me. Because especially back then, there's no, I didn't have the words to communicate what was going on inside and I most definitely didn't have the words to communicate what I was then trying to do about it. So I just, I just stopped. And um, because it was still very much a physical practice for me, I needed that, my body was still craving that kind of very strong training. Um, so it was a very natural step to look around and see, okay, what disciplines might be able to start opening my mind up to some of these answers but also had a very strong physical side to it. So martial arts was a, was a clear, clear path. And, um, you know, a lot of the Eastern martial arts particularly are, are steeped in Buddhism, for example. So, you know, so that was a route that I went down and that was very satisfying to me because, yes, you could learn all the kind of physical part of it, but there is, there's so much depth to martial arts you don't need to go into it if you don't want to. If you just want to learn it for physical stuff or uh, to compete or whatever it is, but if you want it, there's this whole world of, of deeper meaning behind the martial arts. And that ultimately led me to 
moved to London. So uh, at that time, this is before mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts was just becoming in its very early days. And at that stage, um, there's a Buddhist monastery in China called the Shaolin Temple. And they would argue that it's the it's the foundation of all martial arts comes from Shaolin Temple, whether or not that's true. And they had sent an official monk to set up a temple in London. So he had set up a temple in London. And at the time, it was, you know, it was all over these kind of glossy magazines, like what were they called? Not GQ magazine, but it used to be like all these kind of young men's magazines in the early 2000s and like... Esquire. Yeah, like things like that. And I remember opening it and seeing Shifu Yanzi, who was this world combat champion, but he was also this Buddhist monk and he was setting up this place in London. And I was like, all right, I just have to go. So moved to London, moved up by the temple and I used to train. So I really went to learn how to fight. You know, I was still a young man, still, um, you know, looking for that hard physical challenge as well. And instead they taught me how to breathe and how to meditate. And the fighting came afterwards. But, you know, to them it was like, the, fi the fighting, the challenge in the fighting is not your opponent, it's yourself. So how do you deal with yourself? You learn to breathe and you learn to meditate. And, and that was really one of the first times where I saw how transformative the breath was. You know, the temple is probably much different now, but it was up in Tufnell Park in North London in an old train yard. And there was this huge cement ramp that went down into it. And it would be lashing rain, freezing cold at night. And they'd have us doing these sprints up and down this huge big cement ramp and then kind of um, squatting down and walking like a duck or, you know, those kind of movements up and down, really hard training. And in the, min of, in the middle of it, we'd stop and we'd, we'd kind of raise our, our hands and we'd breathe in coordination with our raising of our hands. We'd breathe for maybe a minute or two. And in that moment, you'd feel refreshed, you'd recover and off you go again training, you know. And I was thinking back to my own training thinking, my performance would have been way better if I had just known how important the breath was. So that really opened my eyes to the, the, the power of recovery. Now, we all know now how important recovery is, but this is still a while ago. And in that tradition, in, say, Kung Fu or, or traditional martial arts, there's a whole, there's the, this, the hard martial arts, which is the physical training of the body, but there's a whole soft martial arts, which is using the breath to condition and heal and restore the inside of the body, which is totally absent from, or was absent from the Western kind of sports tradition. So that fascinated me, you know, and, and what really kind of hooked me was, it wasn't just something abstract. I was looking at Shifu Yanzi, which was this, the, the main monk, and he looked about 20, even though he was 50, and he looked like he'd kill you, which he probably would, you know, he was a world combat champion, but he was able to do, and, there was, and then he had two or three kind of apprentices with him, they were able to do things that were, you know, nearly impossible. But they were standing right there and they were doing them and you were looking at them every day doing them. So they would condition their arms and legs, hitting kind of bamboo posts and hitting kind of uh, much harder things as well. And it wasn't fake. It wasn't for breaking boards, like for some program. It was so when they were fighting, their arms and legs were conditioned for the, for the impact. So it made it really real. It wasn't an abstract concept for me. I could see how they could use the breath to condition their body to a point, strengthen their body to a point that they could do these nearly superhuman things. And that really opened my eyes to this relationship with the breath and performance and the breath and the mind and, and the breath and also fear. So there's nothing quite like the fear of walking down to fight somebody in, in a competition. 
So how could we use the breath to deal with that? And that was really, again, another huge turning point in, in, um, in my understanding of things. And that was the first step from traditional, you know, elite level basketball into this new world. And then anything was possible then. Did you have anybody uh, ringing your phone saying when you, <laughs> I could just imagine, you know, 56 year old Mike is, a, <laughs> who's, you know, the coach of the Irish basketball team saying, Neil, when are you coming back? <laughs> We're training Monday. I, I think, yeah, maybe it was a sudden departure for people, but I had kind of gone to London. I was in London, uh, myself and my wife, Josie, we moved over there. I was gone for five years, you know, and a lot happened in those five years. So when I came back, I'd been gone for five years. Um, but uh, for me, it was, I just had to, I had to go see what the world had to offer. I just know, I, I, from the from a GAA point of view, you know. <laughs> you I still get people ask me, will I play basketball again? Yeah. Oh, no, no, it's okay. Yeah, I might back. though. They have, um, I recently heard that there was an over 65s Irish team playing in Scotland. They've kind of brought that back or brought it for the first time. And it was a great tagline. It said, like basketball, but slower, <laughs> you know. So I keep saying to my friends, look, when I'm 65, I'll come back and play for the Irish team. I think team. that's a good, that's a good goal to have. <laughs> I think so. You know, you can work to, you can start working towards that. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Train your body. Yeah, 20 years time, I'll be there. Be, they'll be checking your birth certificate. <laughs> There's no way he's, he's, not, he's never over 65. Look, That's the plan. They've got a ringer in here. Um, so what would your advice then be to somebody, maybe a parent or maybe somebody who has a child playing sport or even themselves like going to the gym or um, like what would be a couple of sort of and I know we'll get to that in more depth um, and, I, and I'm only asking this selfishly is it that thing of as you said training your training yourself to breathe right down into your stomach expand the diaphragm and kind of just do that every day until it will just become natural is that and, and, and through the nose I suppose yeah, our, our breathing is, uh, how we breathe is, is dictated by the pressures in our environment. So if we're in a very stressful job, for example, and people are feeling deadlines or whatever it is all the time, the likelihood is their breathing is going to reflect that level of pressure and they're going to, their breathing, unless they're very aware of it, is going to be quite erratic, out of balance, probably breathing through their mouth unless they're very aware of it all the time. So... The way we can change that is by taking ourselves out of that environment for, as you said, a few minutes and just practicing the breathing. And that allows the, the kind of program in the body that governs breathing to kind of start to rewrite itself a little bit. So then the person, when they go back into that high stress scenario, because they're practicing breathing in a calm way elsewhere, it starts to kind of flow into those difficult situations as well. So they might be in that stressful job and all of a sudden they'll realize, oh, what's my breathing like? And they'll see their breathing as erratic and they'll take a moment just to breathe a little bit calmer, a little bit slower. And that's where the change starts to happen. So it's like a cup. Imagine the, the practicing of the breathing. And like in the, in the Blissful Breath, there's loads of exercises in there to, for, to do just this. Even a few minutes every day to practice these exercises. It like fills up a cup. And imagine the cup then overflowing into other parts of your life. So then the overflow happens when you're in a stressful situation and all of a sudden you can, you, out of nowhere, you remember your breathing because you've been practicing it. We have to practice the breathing, not in the crisis. We have to practice it away from the crisis. 
And then when the crisis happens, we have it. You'll see a lot in schools, for example, a child will be uh, going mental or you know screaming or shouting or crying. And the teacher will be saying, breathe, you know, breathe. And I shout at the child to breathe calmly. No offense to any teachers. Uh, I work with teachers as well, by the way. Um, but we need to practice that breathing away from that situation beforehand. So then we can recall it in the crisis. And that's an important part of it as well. Okay, it's very good. Very good. Yeah, and I, I, it's exactly what I was thinking because as you were speaking earlier, I was thinking about times where I've had panic attacks in my in a past life and thinking, I tried breathing in those moments and it just didn't work. But it totally makes sense. Yeah. So you're, you're right. A little bit of beforehand. Now, in some situations, I've been faced with situations with people where they are gone into full fight or flight panic mode and they haven't practiced before. So it takes uh, a little more experience with somebody to, to kind of get them to breathe in, in that situation. But in an ideal world, we're practicing our breathing a little bit in a calm way. And then we have it then. It's there in the memory when we need it. I know we don't have any, I know you're not a doctor and I know you probably don't have any stats, but do you have a general feeling that there might be an issue around Irish people breathing, um, not being as healthy as they could be? Like, are we mouth breeders? Are we bad breeders? Are we, like, where does that, is it a, is, is it a yeah, trauma it, thing? Is it like? <laughs> yeah, it, it could be all of those things. Um You'll hear some people say, oh, this is the wrong way to breathe or the right way to breathe. You know, my opinion is that if we're breathing, it's the right way to breathe. You know, it's keeping us alive. So in a general sense, if you're if you're still alive and you're breathing, brilliant. That's a great place to start. If we can change that a little bit and improve it a little bit, it'll have a, a huge impact on, on our lives. In Ireland, um, there's no there's no kind of hard and fast rule. There's I no think. breath pandemic, is there's it? There's no breath. And in, in actuality, I think we're in a very strong position because we have some great people like Patrick McKeown, um, who wrote The Oxygen Advantage and is, you know, an incredible mind around uh, breathing. We have some great people like that in Ireland who are very active and uh, are, you know, world-renowned people in Ireland. So I think uh, for whatever reason, we do already have an understanding of it and we have quite a few people who are really helping to kind of improve our understanding of it. Um, and even last night we have uh, on the beach in Kalani, we have a big event on the beach where it's free. People come, we do some breathing and some yoga and get in, in, in the water for a dip if people want to. It's called the full moon healing circle. And even that is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, I think a lot of people are, are, are now in, in these times of uncertainty looking perhaps uh, for answers to questions that, that lots of us have. And I think breathing and other things like that, would he which help us breathe, like yoga or meditation, are becoming really, really popular. And I think that's a good thing in Ireland. Yeah, I think definitely the lockdown made us sort of look at what we were doing and, and realise it wasn't working for us and there might be another way similar yeah. to you in yeah. the basketball Yeah, course. absolutely, yeah. Sometimes we need that the the pressure of a crisis to kind of force us to look at things. Yeah, totally. Um so tell us about Wim Hof. What's going on with that dude? Uh, he's an interesting character. And I mean, I think we've all heard of him. You know, he's a, he's a superstar, really. Who yeah. thought we'd have, yeah. we'd have a, like a, a breathing, uh, mindful superstar. But uh, it's a sign of the times, isn't it? Well, yeah. how, how did you start looking at this whole idea of breath and, and controlling the breath and cold water immersion and all that. Yeah, Wim Hof is an amazing character. I've been I've been very lucky that I've trained with him and, and um, at least twice a year I'm on uh, expeditions with him 
uh, up the mountains in Poland and places like that. So he's he, still wearing the same old pair of shorts. He has a new pair of shorts. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Wim is a true pioneer in the way that society needs people on the very edges exploring what's possible and coming back to us and, and telling us what's possible. And then we can kind of take that and integrate it in, into what we do. And Wim is very much one of those people. Um, for anybody who, who might know him at this stage, I think he, at one stage he had maybe 25 world records for doing incredible things like climbing up Mount Everest with no gear, no oxygen, no clothes, just a pair of shorts, um, for being encased in ice, for running marathons barefoot above the polar ice cap, running marathons with no water in Africa. You know, all these unbelievable things. But really Wim's mission was always to get the world's attention because he felt that he could do these things that were thought to be impossible, that he could improve his immune system through breathing, that he could do um, things that were thought medically impossible. But then, you know, after, say, for example, after going up Mount Everest, you know, wearing nothing hardly, uh, the professors in Radboud University in the Netherlands brought him in and said, OK, look, if you can do something like that, you can, let's test if you can breathe yourself better. So they inv injected Wim with a form of E. coli. And within about 15 minutes, you should be pretty sick. So Wim used the breathing, Wim Hof method breathing, and he was able to fight it off. And after two hours, he had no symptoms. And it was the first time in recorded history they had found somebody that could voluntarily use their breathing to improve their immune system. So they asked Wim then, you know, the next, you know, the next logical question is, is Wim the exception to the rule? You know, if he can run up Mount Everest, you know, maybe he's a super freak that can also do this. Can normal people do it? So Wim trained uh, a group of 30 people. Um, they took half of them, brought them into Radbound University, injected them with a form of E. coli as well. And they were able to use the breathing to fight it off. No symptoms after 15 minutes, no symptoms after two hours. And that was the first time in recorded history they had a group of people who could use their breathing to voluntarily improve their immune system. So Wim has relentlessly dragged science, kicking and screaming into his world to prove that we can do way more than we think we can through breathing, through gradual exposure to the cold as a way of testing that breathing, for example. And when I heard Wim talking about those things, those scientifically proven benefits, um, I just had to know, I had to know more. And I came at a time in our life, myself and Josie have four children. And um, it, was, it was at a time where the four of them were under four years of age. So we had two boys and then we had identical twin girls, bang. And it's like a nuclear explosion going off in our, in our house. <laughs> There's no breathing, There's no breathing exercise <laughs> we needed, for that. We needed all the breathing we could get. Um, so I heard Wim talking about these experiments that had been done and they seemed so unbelievable to me. And for me, I had combined two things that I had always been interested in. The breathing, obviously, but I was, uh, I'm from Portmarnock, you know, so as a teenager, we'd be jumping in the sea and I had never connected the cold and the breathing before. And that's where Wim's genius lies, is that he connected these things that already exist and just put them together in a new way and now all the science shows us that we can dramatically improve our health, dramatically improve our strength and our mood when we take some time to just do a little bit of breathing and a little bit of gradual exposure to the cold. So maybe a little bit of cold at the end of your hot shower or if somebody already gets in this, uh, the sea for a dip, whatever it is. And then we can see quite unbelievable things happening in the body. So when we learn to 
approach the cold in the, in the way we, that we do, trying to find the breath in the cold and trying to find a sense of calm and control in the chaos of that cold. Inflammation in the body, the science shows us, is going down for about six days after that. So if we look at inflammation as one of the, the causes and effects of lots of the different diseases that we face, dramatic reduction in, in inflammation like that can have huge effects on people's health. And that's what we're seeing. And there's study after study after study coming out all the time now. And that's what really drew me to Wim is that he didn't just want to, like the Shell and Monks, they knew it worked. You know, they have been, Qigong breathing has been around for 4,000 years in China. They don't need, they don't need Radbound University to verify that for them. But in the West here, evidence is the loudest voice. You know, so science and evidence is the loudest voice. So Wim very cleverly went down that route. And that really appealed to me that there was all this evidence to show that the breathing and the cold could dramatically improve our health. And that for me was very appealing. Could you ever see us getting to a day where you might go into a doctor and he'll say, well, here's your, here's your breathing exercise for the next few weeks cold shower at the end of your hot shower and come back to me and we'll we'll have a look. Well, it's so interesting. The, the more and more people I meet, and I, need, I meet a lot of people through my work, I hear examples all the time of doctors already doing that for people. Doctors saying, look, um, even some doctors having, uh, they used to be cassettes, but like things that they recommend to people, listen to this meditation or listen to this breathing. You know, You know, Malcolm X used to talk about uh, freedom for people by any means necessary, you know, and that's my approach to to health and well being. Get yourself better by any means necessary. So when I hear doctors that are kind of combining what they know with some breathing or some medic, you know, medication and meditation, whatever it is, by any means necessary, just get yourself better. So I think we are moving towards a more holistic view of the person as not just a bag of bones, but the person as this whole thing that we don't really understand that well, you know, so we, where is the mind, for example, you know, our, is the breath our consciousness? You know, there's all these huge questions that we don't know the answer to. But if we, if we give people a combination of things that get them better, I think that's the best way to do it. And there are, in the Netherlands, of course, um, they are starting to integrate breathing and, and Wim Hof method into the health system in different ways. Um, in America, there's research on using it for uh, helping older people as well. So there is, I think it might be Alabama, they're, they're integrating into how they, they treat older people as well. So it is happening. It is happening. There's loads of science around around it. So uh, we live in a very exciting time. Mm, it is exciting, actually. Because, uh, you know, you, <laughs> the best of times, the worst of times, you know, because we, we are, we will convince ourselves that this is the worst time to ever be alive. And, know. You know, we're all going to hell in a handcart <laughs> and the earth is on fire and Donald Trump is about to be locked up or whatever's going on, yeah. you know, and someone's taken over Twitter and it's chaos and insa- insanity. But actually, you know, you're coming from your world going, there's some great things happening. And, and there is. It's like, I think, uh, at most points in history, we think everything's falling apart, but we just have to take a breath. Just take a breath. Beautiful. <laughs> That's almost where we're going to finish up. Um, before we do, and maybe you've touched on some of them already, are there any pieces of advice or is there a technique or one piece of advice you can give listeners to help them with their mindfulness and breathing starting Monday? Yeah, so at the very beginning of, of the podcast episode, we did that very simple exhale breath. So that's something that people can use straight away now. They can use it on Monday if they like as well. 
is just that to practice, even put a timer on for a minute on your phone and just slowly breathe out. And when you get to the bottom of that exhale, just breathe in again and slowly breathe out and just focus on that long exhale and just do that for a minute. It changes everything. So I've guided, I don't know, thousands and thousands of people into the cold, into ice baths, into these shocking situations in the cold. And within four or five of these long, slow exhales, the nervous system starts to change. The vagus nerve switches on. The body starts to relax and people can find a sense of calm and control despite that chaos and shock of the cold. You don't have to get into the cold to practice that. You can practice it now just focusing on that exhale. And whenever something difficult happens to you, just focus on that exhale and know that within three or four of those breaths, your body is going to change and you're going to have a chance to feel that sense of control again. Wow. One more question. What if you're in a nice bath and then a, a lion comes along? <laughs> you're the, delighted you're in the ice bath. Yeah, you're just hoping he doesn't like water or cold. Sometimes in some of the places that I've been um, in extreme, extreme weather, it might be actually warmer in the ice bath. So sometimes people get into the ice bath to shelter from the wild weather. So the tiger is another thing they're sheltering from. Uh, Neil Amarku, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Quitting smoking requires willpower, but we could all use a little help sometimes. Nicorette's Stop Smoking products increase your chances of quitting smoking by up to 60% versus unaided. Clinically proven to help you quit for good. Nicorette contains nicotine. Stop smoking aid. Requires willpower. Always read the label.